0: Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening, where we are set to continue our explorations into these Catholic musings, these musings that I have from the past week. I take one thing that really struck me from this past week, either from something I came across Within the culture, or something I may have taught in another setting, whatever really hit me, I bring to the airwaves, um, and also I take up one of your questions, right? But before I do that, I do want to wish you a very merry Christmas this Christmas season, wherever you might be listening to this radio program and or podcast. I welcome you into this studio in the friendly confines of Chico, California. All right, so to the question, what is theology? This is the question you have asked me, and quite frankly, you have asked me this on more than one occasion. And actually, (laughs) as I started to put down my thoughts to respond to this question, I was made to remember that I have already responded to this question at great length. So what I want to do is direct you to my website, go to the shows and Go to the special topics and common questions answered, and hit the date marked March seventh, two 2019, and what you're going to get there is me talking for over 25 minutes about what is theology, but <laughs> because you have asked me again and again, uh, not knowing about that program, I thought, well, maybe I can spend a few moments talking about theology and that is more specifically, what is theology? And then we'll get into our musing. So, first, theology as the study of God is the science that really is best defined as faith seeking understanding. Huh? Faith seeking understanding. You see, my friends, you can't do theology in the absence of faith. Belief in God is central to the art of theology, the practice of theology. And really, this priority on faith is what separates theology from every other ology, because it is the ology that ought to always begin on bended knee, right? Which is not to say that such studies as sociology or psychology shouldn't begin on bended knee, because the practice of such sciences would be immensely helped by doing so. But simply, my friends, it is to say that if you are to be led into the depths of revelation, both natural and divine. It is the Spirit that will help you unclog your mind and heart. For example, this morning I was made to pray a little more because my mind and heart felt a little clogged, right? So the Spirit has a way of unclogging mind and heart to think more clearly. All right, so with that, second, defining theology as faith-seeking understanding ought to have us considering what but the seeking, huh? the seeking, especially in light of Mary. What have we been meditating upon this past week, at least on one or two occasions? I'm sure not only the birth of Jesus, but also the Annunciation of Jesus, right? As we are made to reflect into the manger, we are also made to reflect into the Annunciation for obvious reasons. Now, when the angel Gabriel appeared, Mary had a response. I know not, man, how will you do this? Now, what's interesting about this narrative is that it is found in the Gospel of Luke. What narrative precedes the Annunciation? Well, another announcement that Zechariah and Elizabeth were to give birth to another child, John the Baptist. So, what are we made to juxtapose then? The responses to the angel. Consider, my friends, with Zechariah, you have a questioning of sorts. But what kind of questioning? Well, Zechariah is doubting, right? What do you mean to say, angel? My wife is not of age. This is silly. And what happens to Zechariah? He can no longer speak. Why doesn't this happen to Mary when she questions? Well, it is to best understand how she questions. When you translate the Greek, effectively this is what you get. Okay, I know you are going to do this, but because I know not man, I'm seeking to understand how you are going to do this, and I'm seeking to understand in faith. My dear friends, in Mary's response, you have the essence of theology defined as faith-seeking understanding. You see, we look at the word question, and in today's definition, we might define it as doubt. Why question that? Which is to say, I doubt that. But that's not what question actually means. That's what Zechariah was doing. But to question is to quest, to seek to understand. Mary was questing. She was seeking to understand how she is to become the mother of God, which is an extraordinary fact, really, when you think about it. She believes that she's going to be the mother of God, and she's never been with man. (laughs) This is incredible, really. So as we compare Zechariah and Mary, I think we can better get at what that seeking is all about, right? Which is to speak to the importance of that ready to act at a moment's notice, ready to respond in faith at a moment's notice. So in our quest then to understand those things around us, we do so in faith. Mindful, my friends, that theology is the art of conversing with the past, as is every science, right? Specific to theology, one is to deepen the articulation of what is already held as true, but maybe ineptly expressed. You see, my friends, theology does not seek to change the substance of revelation, what is already true. Truth is truth. No, theology expresses growth as of an acorn into an oak tree, and faith guided by reason does this. All right, to our principal musing for this evening, for this we turn our attention to sacred scripture and, dare I say, do a little theology. <laughs> this week, I was made to reflect upon an important verse that has us focusing on the infant king. If you are to go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke commences his account on the birth of Jesus with the following words. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. All right? Simple enough. On one level, Luke is providing the reader with the historical circumstances bringing Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, the birthplace of Christ. On another level, brothers and sisters, the mere mentioning of Caesar Augustus in the infancy narrative of Christ is charged with meaning and significance. Consider, my friends, that Caesar Augustus was most famous for establishing peace across the Roman Empire in the Pax Romana, and that he was hailed by many of his subjects as Savior of the world and even what but God. Certainly, these facts would have been known to the first century reader of the Bible. Consequently, each first century reader of Luke's text Would have been made to compare and contrast the saving message of Caesar Augustus to the saving message of Jesus Christ. Of course, the real savior of the world and bringer of peace. Now, what's interesting here is that a more detailed comparison of Caesar Augustus and Christ, I think, uncovers something else for us this this evening. Consider the life of Caesar and its disparity. With Christ, with a few uh, known facts. Caesar was welcomed as a king. Christ was rejected as a king. Caesar was the best housed person in the world. Christ was born in a stable cave. Caesar would have been adorned with the fragrances of a king. Christ was born in the dirt of a stable. Caesar was the best-fed person in the world. Christ becomes food for the world. This juxtaposition is not only a bullet-point exposition of the infancy narrative as it relates to Caesar and Christ, but, my friends, an acute reminder of God's own poverty. Popular 20th century radio and television personality you've heard me talk about a lot here on this radio program, Fulton Sheen brings insight into what this poverty looks like when he says in his classic work life Life of Christ, there in a place of lonely abandonment in a cold whisper cave, there under the floor of the world, in the filthiest place in the world, purity was born. He goes on to say, there was no room in the inn, but there was room in the stable. A stable would be the last place in the world where one would have looked for him. Because divinity is always where one least expects to find it. Amen to that. The poverty found in the manger, no doubt, my friends, is a great mystery. But a mystery we ought to meditate on and apply to our own lives. In an age where people constantly desire more, especially during this Christmas season, Luke's telling of the birth of Jesus, I think, is a welcomed invitation to reflect into the poverty of God and the call we have to bear witness to material poverty, being without goods, and spiritual poverty, being humble in God. My friends, we have all struggled with wanting more than we have, probably watching more than we need, sleeping more than we ought, and eating more than we should. Which is to say, our human appetites at one time or another have gotten the best of us, huh? So it is we turn our attention to the wisdom of Saint Paul who writes, though he was rich, Jesus Christ became poor for your sake. Christ was rich in his divinity, but poor in his humanity because he desired that we be enriched by his divinity, grace, in our humanity, is not the spiritual maxim of less is more applicable here. On the material level, the less we are bound to material goods, the more we will be disposed to His grace. In other words, the more stuff we buy, the more stuff we have to be accountable for, and the less stuff we buy, the less stuff we have to be accountable for. All of this is to say the invitation put before us this Christmas season is the invitation for a spirit of simplicity, which again is akin to the humble-hearted. It is no wonder that in the devotional prayer of the Rosary and its third joyful mystery, the Nativity, we pray for the fruit of Christian poverty to come down into our souls, that the spirit of poverty come down into our souls.